Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Good morning. Welcome to Medicine on Call. This morning I have uh, another special guest, which I think is, he's going to illuminate a lot of the areas that patients don't know about, what it's really like to be a physician in the current healthcare system. I mean, we've spoken about it at length and the duress that we're under with uh, things like maintenance of certification, uh, sham peer review, all of these things actually have a it takes a toll on a physician, and we don't speak about it. And I think part of our malaise and the 400 doctors per year are committing suicide, I think, are symptomatic of our profession being literally under attack daily. And patients really not having any idea what it really means and what it takes to be a physician and what the, the environment and atmosphere is really like. And today I have Dr. Robert Villare on. He's a surgeon who practices in, I believe, it's a Pennsylvania or New Jersey, Dr. Villari? Well, it was both, but okay. now I'm mostly in Pennsylvania. Gotcha. I believe you're a vascular surgeon by specialty, correct? Yeah, vascular and trauma surgery for years. Oh, well, you're definitely on the front line in every sense of the word. Um, you're here to talk to us about your experience and, and what patients, I think, overall can do to help fix this problem. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, been in practice for some 30 years now. Seems like the time flew by, but uh, <clears throat> and I was always an in-the-trenches surgeon, meaning on the front lines taking care of patients, and, and not too much involved with um, administrative or leadership things. Then as years go by, you know, you, you become, we hopefully, more wise, and we see things happen and through our experiences. After about 30 years of practicing and staying in the background and just doing my work, I noticed that um, we become more and more affected in our work by others mm -hmm. and the demands placed on us by others. And it, and it dawned on me that all the other people putting the demands and requirements and mandates on us were not practicing physicians or nurses or, or anyone who's delivering direct care to patients. Mm -hmm. So I finally uh, began to get more involved in administrative aspect. I actually went back, got a master's degree in health management um, and health policy through Rutgers University and Johns Hopkins. So it's served me well because I finally have a voice now, and I think there's something to be said. And, and the public needs to know about these things. You're, you're absolutely correct and that patients aren't directly um, aware of these things because it's not imp impacting them directly when they go to an office, but it sure is going to be impacting their choice very soon. I wonder, is it may not happen in the office, but what's your take about in the hospital setting? To me, it's impacting them greatly because doctors aren't really on the front line there anymore. Yes, and if you notice, in the State of the Union speech last night, our president mentioned giving greater choice mm -hmm. to veterans. And they deserve choice, well, and, and the public deserves greater choice. And the problem that's been happening in hospitals, especially in my state of Pennsylvania, almost 80% of the physicians that patients can go to are now employed by a hospital or health system. 
And the scary part about that is, as everyone probably knows, if you're employed by someone, you do what your employer says. And it's become uh, bad enough to the point where it's removing that choice from the public. The physicians are chosen for lots of reasons. They have to do what they're told, or they don't have a job. And because of this hospital complete grab for control, it's going to be costing patients more, and there's going to be little places they can turn to if they're not satisfied. The other problem they're going to see is that the same thing we used to do in our offices with a testing, and cardiology is a good example. Mm-hmm. Um, you could go in a cardiologist office. Some of them would do the your echocardiogram, say, or your stress test right in their office. Well, now that same test that's being done when patients and the public has to go to a hospital-employed physician is costing them three to four times the amount it was costing hmm. in that same physician's office. And that information has come from Medicare and the government itself. They're aware of this now. It's almost like the government shot itself in the foot by, by driving a lot of health care in, into hospitals. And, and it's all about control. I, I'm assuming they thought this was a great place where they can control costs, and it turned out to be they're not able to control those costs at all. Actually, it's costing the public more. I think it's a combination of them thinking they can control costs and control us. I think we're one of the only professions out there that has a very, uh, how can I put it, uh, entrepreneurial mindset. I want to treat my patients the way I choose to. I have a uh, paradigm. I have a frame of reference. I have a, a time that I've spent learning in the trenches, and I'm different than any other ENT like you are from any other surgeon. They want to standardize that, I think. They want people to go have one choice doctors to have one or a couple of choices of treatment options, and it keeps it very simple. And I believe you're absolutely right. It is all about control. Yeah, and standardization, it's interesting you bring that up. What, what's happening is, and you've seen this through history, anytime there's complete control like this, whether it's a corporation or government or whomever's trying to control and standardize things, <clears throat> stifles innovation. Yep. And, and the legal profession pounding healthcare the way they are. And again, I hate to refer back to the State of the Union, but you hear how long it takes for people to obtain life-saving drugs or new treatments because of the FDA taking so long. By the time these patients with a limited lifetime left can get hope to try, and at least they deserve to be able to try, right? It's their choice. Mm -hmm. And you heard that really emphasized last night to the American public. It's too late because they have to wait and wait and wait. So what do they do? They travel to other countries for their for their uh, treatments. Yeah. Well, we see that now here. You know, people are, are traveling to Panama, and they can have surgeries and plastic surgery done much less expensively than they can here. And it's because of the control and all these intermediaries trying to standardize things. Now standards standards work. They, they work on some things, right? So if you have electricity, we don't want to be, well, half the country's on Europe and you need a, um, a, a converter because it's 220 and it's part of the country's on 110 lines or, or with sports. If, if 10 yards was a first down in one state but 12 yards was a first down in another state, you can see why standardization is, is important to us, right? Mm-hmm. But in healthcare, each patient's unique. 
you know, and we need to be able to use our ingenuity and, and new things that we know about science and apply it to patients when we're confronted with a patient's situation. Um, they're taking that away from us, and I think the public needs to know more about this. You know, you're not going to see the doctor that you want to see because certain groups and certain hospital facilities are going to control who you can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're going to control what procedures can be done. And maybe a little later I can give you a, a, a glaring example of how some places it would be difficult to bring our ingenuity and innovation and entrepreneurship into the to the clinical setting. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. You know, there's another thing that, that really stands out with this control it's driven by, to my, you know, my frame of reference, a lot by the pharmaceutical industry, and their studies are skewed. They don't even conclude or include certain groups. Let's say black patients, they don't have children in some groups. So to standardize our healthcare system based on their data, which they readily admit, it's not really all that great. I mean, they, you cherry pick things. You pick a certain population to make your drug look better. It's not based on on truth or something that can be applied universally. And that's a big fault in this evidence-based system from my standpoint. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, exactly. And uh, speaking of pharmaceutical industry, um, they're actually, not only do they slant, uh, some, not all, but they slant their, their findings and their not doing really um, open research, but uh, they're at times causing the drug shortages and driving up the cost of medications to the point where the public can't afford it. And I know patients specifically who depend on some of these medications for their lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're fighting uh, different types of cancers and different types of chronic disease. and patients will go without I mean you know they'll go without a meal and they'll turn the heat down and you know try to put blankets on them in the wintertime just so they can afford their life-saving medications and we know all about these pharmacy benefit networks where they're just controlling the costs and you know reaping uh, tremendous uh, profits and rewards over the cost of you know patient care we have a couple minutes before the break, but can you break down what a pharmacy, because that's one of the major players, and we throw the word around a lot, but what is a pharmacy benefit management company? Who starts them? Who owns them? Oh, how do they get involved with in our healthcare system? Yeah, well, um, CVS was one, Express Scripts was another, and there's a few other names. I'm, I'm, I can't recall at present, mm-hmm. but what they've done was gone to different insurers and said listen you know and different huge employers we can we can provide this we'll even we'll even send the um, medications you know directly to the home you can mail in and we'll give you you know discounts because in return we want all your you know millions of patients who need these medications mm-hmm. sounds like a great idea right mm-hmm. um but what turned out was that now they have cut deals and contracts with the manufacturers to obtain these drugs at a fraction of the cost of what they sell them to you and I. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the profiteering takes place, and these companies are setting the prices 
in making the in, even the insurers believe that they're giving them a deal. There's actually a, uh, a suit I think was filed by Anthem, uh, which is a large insurance conglomerate that got information that they were driving these pharmacy benefits packages like uh, CVS, Express Scripts, and others were driving up the cost tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's beginning to be a pushback, and as you heard the president last night, this is all beginning to come to light, that we're being overcharged uh, in the public. I mean, look at Canada. You can get drugs so much cheaper uh, right in our neighbor country than you can here. On that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. Um, we're talking today with Dr. Robert Villare. He's an, uh, a doctor, a surgeon, as well as somebody who understands policy, having had obtained a master's in uh, in policy of, of healthcare system. And I must say, you must know, meet on the front line of all of these changes that have happened in our hospital setting. You described your, your where you work, 80% of doctors being employed. That's higher than the national average, isn't it? Yes, I believe it is. The national average, well, years ago it used to be only about 30-some percent. Mm-hmm. Now it's approaching, I think, 50%. So it's become impossible financially for physicians to practice independently, and it's because of the mandates placed by all these third parties. You, you mentioned the power. Whoever controls the pocketbook has the power. And there's, there's a, a topic that I think that you're, it's near and dear to you, and patients don't understand, which is the Physician's National Data Bank. Um, that's a bat that can be wielded to really destroy healthcare or doctors' careers, isn't it? Yes, and, and it has been. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's something near and dear to my heart. Back in 2014, I think I first should tell the public what that is. Mm-hmm. A long time ago, I think it was in the late 80s, Congress was pushed to, uh, like there was a crisis, that there wasn't any, but they wanted to protect the public from really bad actors, really bad physicians who were harming people. Just like we should protect the public from really bad lawyers or bad engineers, you know, that Mm -hmm. sounds like a great concept. Mm -hmm. And the law actually started as a simple repository to be kept private so that truly bad physicians or nurses could not jump from state to state. And I think a lot of this was promoted by that Nurse Cullen case, which was horrific. If you call what that was, this nurse was actually injecting potassium and killing patients. So sure, we, we want to protect them. If a physician's been found legitimately to be harming patients or acting out and having a, you know a drug or alcohol problem, and having a pattern of bad results, patterns of patients becoming infected or bleeding or being harmed or dying. Yeah, we would all agree that that's a good idea. Let's, let's not let them skip around like, you know, convicts can escape and go to other states. But what's happened through the years is, like any typical government agency, they want to expand. They want to get bigger. So they've added all these reportable events that they call them to the point that now they're interpreting the law to mean something that it didn't mean 
we want a valid repository of truly bad doctors to protect the public. I think the public should know. I also happen to think we should know about who's the really bad lawyers who've lost their licenses. Mm -hmm. Um, But we don't see laws on that. Who's the really bad administrators in hospitals that are, you know, holding their fist and hammer over physicians with the arrogance of authority? We've all seen that. Not all, but they're not reportable, right? So what's happened is physicians are being reported for things that this law was not intent for, even nurses. For example, if you check was received from a malpractice insurer late. We had a physician, and they chose not to insure him, and he had to go get other insurance. That's not a reportable event. That has nothing to do with health care, right? The physician was reported. And that's actually what got me involved in this in 2014, because he came to our medical society. I'm the uh, president of Camden County Medical Society, which is in southern New Jersey. And the whole executive team, we were outraged that that happened. We had another um, physician who was merely an applicant to a hospital. An administrator turned out that didn't like uh, some of the physician's um, opinions on on what intermediaries and things above us were doing to health care. He was reported. And astoundingly, that in that case, they, they... the administrator just said, if you don't leave, I'm going to report you, and you know what that will do to you. What? Almost (laughs) unbelievable, yes, and three different physicians at the same facility um, came forward and said this administrator did the same thing to them and asked them to leave, withdraw their applications, so he ended up reporting one of them and simply called them disruptive. Now, the physician wasn't disruptive. Everyone that never even worked in the place never provided health care. Again, the law is clear. It has to be harm and a pattern of harming patients during the delivery of health care, not because you submitted an application to work somewhere. So the horrific examples go on and on. We we had one person who was the chair of a department not involved in health care. There was a lawsuit based on some procedure with another physician that this chair didn't even know about. Well, the chair was named in the suit, and lo and behold, later the chair was reported to the data bank, knew nothing about the patient, nothing about the case. Took that person, this is what the public should know, that a report to that data bank can be career-changing. It can, it can make it so difficult for very good physicians that the public would want to choose to go to, to see, because now it's gonna be difficult for them to get a job. Mm-hmm. Once you're in that day, you've got to tell anyone everywhere, health insurance, if you want to be a provider for Blue Cross and Blue Shield, you've got to mention that you were reported and explain it. Any facility you want to work at, any medical society you want to be at, you have to explain it. Well, how do you explain that? Well, I really wasn't doing anything. I don't know why I was reported. Well, it turns out that this this government agency is becoming non-credible now, this is becoming a frivolous Um, agency and that's what we want and I believe we need to stop we need to take them back to the original intent of the law but it took that physician nearly two years and tens of thousands of dollars to fight to get their name removed it's rare that a doctor is successful and a really sad uh, situation because now those hospitals and and other corporations who are employing all your physicians 
because they made it so difficult to practice that you can't afford without some great employer paying all those other expenses mm-hmm. have you know, are, are creating the same obstacle and barriers to the public because the docs that they want to see are no longer going to be able to get a job. I think when you take that to its logical extent, patients need to really understand it's not just the hospitals, it's not it's the insurance companies, it's everybody that has the ability to control us based on duress. I mean, it's we're going to not going to pay you for your services or what you just described if you stick your head up and you make some sort of uh, you know, exert your own ability and your own autonomy, they're going to knock you down. And that translates, doesn't it, to patient care. Suppose you have um, some sort of uh, procedure that you do that is outstanding, but the hospital doesn't offer it, and you mention it to your patient, and the patient goes to another hospital. I can foresee this becoming just completely out of control, and it's not about the patient anymore. It's about fiefdoms and power and keeping everybody locked. You're absolutely correct, and it does affect safety, and that's the most physicians who will complain about safety or there's not, for example, there's not enough staff Mm. in the hospital because there's a shortage of support staff, like your nursing or your technicians, Mm -hmm. uh, or there's not competent staff. Those sort of whistleblowers complaining, right, to the the administration become labeled. It's it's like, be quiet, doctor. You're, you're, You're disruptive. We're, we're fine. And, and the public doesn't know about that. And, and, and if they want to, they'll just put you in front of a shampoo review or worse, just call you disruptive and find ways to get you off staff of the hospital or make your life miserable such that they want to control your speech. They, they will push you down to the point you're, you know, that you need to be quiet. And, and a lot of physicians just back away because their livelihood and their right to earn a living is threatened, and they realize that. And so you have the docs that are really most concerned about safety complaining about the situation and the circumstances and environment they're forced to work in. And while seeing nothing done about it, no one's listening to them, right? They're the best ones. They're the ones that are more prone to getting reported or losing their jobs. So it's actually the opposite now. It's the people who are patient advocates, the, the doctors who love the Hippocratic Oath and are, 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 are compelled to practice it and use it, those are the ones that are he- ending up being labeled. Yes, it's almost like don't have an opinion, and if you have one, keep don't express it. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> 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 On that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine On Call. health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month 
and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Back. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. Um, we're speaking with Dr. Robert Bellari, surgeon and an advocate for patients and, uh, you know, changing our healthcare system back to one that actually is patient-centered. You know, they've actually controlled the language on this, the proponents of this system, for years now. You know, it's patient-centered. It's all about patient rights and patient advocacy. And actually, when it turns out to be the truth about it, it's not. I mean, you're describing situations where doctors are put upon and under duress, not able to be free to, to, to treat their patients as they see fit. We have administrators who I think, if you really think about it, they have a conflict of interest because their fiduciary responsibility is to the board and the hospital and keeping costs down. It's not about patient care. And, and usually it works, in the, well, that's not really true. If you take care of your patients, it's actually cheaper than doing the algorithms and all of the things that the hospitals want you to do because you end up ordering more tests, calling more consults, all the other things that give the hospital money, but the patient may not need. I mean, what's your take on their fiduciary responsibility? I think, in your opinion, is that a conflict of interest or does that align with patient care? Well, it doesn't align with patient care. It aligns with their their best interest. And it's funny you mentioned costs because, as you said, you know, there's all this, this uh, um, PR out there that we want to reduce costs, we want to reduce costs, and, and they blame physicians for the costs. Well, it turns out, what a paradox, the, the ones preaching the reduced cost are driving up the cost. They are the ones responsible. And let me explain a little bit, you know, and it, it, first of all, it's all about saving money to them. We now have a push for um, nurses, nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, referred to as PAs, now are going into rooms and seeing patients in an exam room and in hospitals. And we've heard this. Some of my colleagues have heard this. They're actually saying, well, you, uh, uh, are, are you the doctor? The patient will ask. And the response is, yeah, I'm the same thing. I'm, oh. not, I'm not a physician, but I'm just like them. And that's not being honest to the public. If you know the training that we go through, it's years and years and years of uh, grueling education and training, and yet those corporations now and whoever's driving this, whether it's uh, government um, healthcare delivery systems or private, uh, it's all about saving money to them. So the cheapest way to get you taken care of is what they're going to use. Interestingly enough, they're the same ones that are demanding that we do things that have nothing to do with caring for the patient. So what's that? Well, we have to sit at a computer. If a visit would, would last 30 minutes, about 25 minutes is at the computer documenting all kinds of things. Now, I'll bet most patients aren't aware that that we he, they've devised these notes for us that, mm. that are horrendous, nothing like we would usually write our handwritten note to jog our mind about a patient and it's all about billing 
because they've, they've created these long list of things we have to include in this note that are irrelevant to our taking care of the patient, and it's only to get a paycheck. And we're spending all that you even hear patients complain. Well, the doctor didn't look at me. He was just sitting there staring at a screen. It takes five minutes to take care of a patient, and yet you have to spend all that time doing nonsense things. The mandates put on us by these third parties, and again, as you know, Dr. George, there are people in these who don't take care of patients. If we were, and the problem is we can't speak up because once we say we don't want to do this, they'll say, well, okay, you're out of here. We'll mm-hmm. replace you with somebody who will do it. And there's plenty of people there looking for jobs and need jobs to support their family, right? Mm-hmm. There's interns and residents just getting out of training. They've got huge debt from medical school, starting a family, mortgages, cars. You know, if they're having children, it's nearly impossible. So they have to be quiet and do what they're told. If we were NASA, can you imagine going in to the National Aeronautics and Space mm-hmm. Administration and knowing nothing about what they do, and telling them, we want you to do this, and we want you to fill this out, and we want you to do this, and we want to measure this about you, and make sure you complete all these forms for anything you do. I mean, they will turn around and say, get out of our space center, <laughs> and rightfully so. Well, in healthcare, we've not done that. No. I mean, you might as well think of us as NASA, but everyone else is telling us what to do to the point where we can't even do our own jobs safely, and we can't innovate. That's a tragedy in this country. I have a question about the the um, mid-level um, providers that are taking care of the patients. When a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner comes in and takes care of the patient and there's a bad outcome, who's responsible? Is it them or is it the doctor overseeing them? Good point. You know, um, currently they're going to go after the physicians because whose insurance has the deep pockets? It's always the physician's insurance company. Uh, most of them are employed, the, the allied health, or extenders, as they call them. So the hospital is going to support them, and they'll bring in a cadre of attorneys to fight and fight and fight. Uh, so it's an interesting point, because most of them now are pushing states, and states are granting them independent practice licensures, giving them the ability to practice on their own. So I think it's going to be a while, but when they get really sick patients, you're going to you're going to see they'll start missing things. They won't yeah. be delivering the highest quality care, and once they get sued, you know we'll, we'll probably see it this go around full circle. But that's going to take several years, and I think you're going to see a decline in the quality of care. And the public needs to know about that. And I believe it's important that they they realize it, but. Um, you're not going to have a choice because, as we said before, when you go in, the push is so strong by these organizations to save money. They're going to give you the lowest paid provider that they can um, and try to, you know, reserve a physician for other things, which is not good for the public. Not at all. But I think we have a window here. If the hospital is allowing people to falsely advertise um, the same as and just as good as, and it's not true, then we should actually bring some sort of legal remedy to this because it's falseness in advertising and it's fraud. That's the bottom line. And the doctors need to stand up and do something, don't you think? Yeah, well, I, I agree 100%. And um, 
going back to that, my, one of my main fights, like that one would be, would be the National Practitioner Data Bank. I'm having a hard time. We have a website where people can go to sign a petition. The only reason for that petition is because we're going to Congress hmm. and Senate to disclose that, just like you, we should disclose the you know extender providers as not being physicians. Right. It's very difficult to get a physicians who are an intelligent group who are very independent to take action. And unfortunately, they'll sit in the you know in the lounges and they'll complain to each other and whine, but yet they don't take action. And and I'm not sure how to drive them to action or or what causes that. I guess we've been maybe beaten down so much during internship and residency that you always say yes, 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 yes. And we're trained to do that like Pavlov's dog. We never say no. That, that they're unaccustomed to saying, no, we're not going to tolerate this. You know, mm-hmm. you're ruining our profession. I, I'm not sure what the answer is. Maybe you have some insight on that, Dr. George. Actually, I think it's the patients. Go around the physicians and go directly to the patients, and this should be an outreach and a, and a campaign to let patients know who we are, what we do, how we're different from physician assistants and nurses, and let the market dictate it. Everybody understands money, but if the patient understands, if you walk into a general hospital in, our, in any city, you're not gonna see the, the specialist, really. You're not gonna have a doctor taking care of you from the front line, and if you go to an independent physician, or and they're popping up, you know, outpatient or f- freestanding, facilities that have a majority, you know, any specialty represented. Surgery Center of Oklahoma is an example. Um, Direct primary care practices are an example. If people use that as their front line of care, God forbid you have something catastrophic, you have to end up in a hospital, I totally understand. But you can get a stress test out of the hospital. You can find a cardiologist, an ENT. Everything the hospital has is represented in the independent sphere. If patients now do that, that would put pressure on them to come to the table, I think. Yes, and I think it's easier to rally patients uh, oh, yeah. behind us than it is uh, physicians who tend to be more uh, in- independent and not a cohesive group. And you're right. We, if we can convince patients that these intermediaries and these agencies that are becoming just non-valid agencies, they exist to just to justify their own existence, uh, and we go directly to them, I think that's our best shot. And, and the site is called Support Doctor DR, it's abbreviated Doctor Patient. So patients are involved, and in, in we're trying to drive that soon to, um, to get patients to sign so we can go after this. And I'm trying to work both ways by getting independent physicians on board with us and trying to work with our state medical societies, the AMA and others, but it's, it's very difficult. They all have their own agendas. But you'll see one thing that patients may not realize and they should understand because choice is being taken away. A lot of their information is now even being put up on exchanges. They call them information exchanges where the state, the government, or health insurer is controlling all your medical records without your express permission. So they can send it to whoever they want that can look at those records. I mean, amazing. Patients need to get involved, and you're right. We need to be educating and and informing the public of how all this stuff is affecting them. And look at costs. You see now where Amazon may be getting involved in healthcare. Yeah. yeah. 
well we needed we need a big partner like that you know to be because you have to go outside normal uh, normal uh, chains of command here to make a difference um, direct to independent physicians direct to the pharmaceutical manufacturers and you see that they're planning on doing just that you know getting to the drugs at, at a fraction of the cost of the manufacturers and supplying it to patients i mean i think they're on to the right path here in in going directly to the consumer to the patient and you're correct we we need to get to the patients to support us you know in simplifying healthcare, removing all those intermediaries and and promoting independence and independent thought i'm with you on that and i like the premise of Amazon getting involved, but it's a corporation, and they're all about monopoly, and they're all about control. It should oh, come yes. from the independent doctor. We do this every day. We are able to go to discount pharmacies, or I should say um, uh, medication suppliers, and buy directly from them. You know, you can get Bactrim for $2 for a count of 100, and you can pass that along to your patient. You don't need Amazon to do it. Exactly. You control your own destiny as a physician. Open up your own practice. Get together with folks who are like-minded. And <laughs> patients, are they want us. I mean, this is, to me, the best thing. It, Obamacare was the best thing for physicians. Because those of us who were not going to be cowed and those of us who were, had some sort of guts <laughs> went out on faith and actually built a system that's running parallel to this. Direct primary care, cash-only practices, concierge those are the people who actually patients really need to start looking at in earnest because we've been doing what amazon is thinking of doing we've been doing this for years now you don't have to reinvent the wheel i'm not interested in making amazon richer because when they get power over the doctors they're going to control us next so we're going from one controller in the hospital and the government to a private corporation to me it's a lateral step and we just need to stop playing the game altogether if we want to win it Yes, and I, I, sh I share your concern with Amazon. It's the first thing that popped into my head last night when I heard about it. Um, w the, the only thing that's a, a barrier to us is that we need a huge supporter, meaning financial supporter, so that independent physicians can do this themselves. And there are groups out there doing that, offering direct care. Yeah. You know, forgetting insurers, just use the insurance for the big hits when there's a catastrophe and you're in the hospital, but everything else should be direct pay. And when you look at this, the state, the the, the very people, again, in these, these authoritative, you know, bodies who are certifying all of us, promote these laws that promote themselves. And let me give you a direct example. The state made it so difficult for you and I. We can't give a patient a prescription in the office. They put all these requirements, and they'll come and inspect your office, and they want you to have all the same things that a pharmacy would have with checks and balances and this and that, where you can't simply just have a few medications available inexpensively to give to your patients. So what happens? They they took away our ability to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Look at the opioid crisis. If you look back, the Joint Commission and other regulatory bodies were driving physician rate. It became the fifth vital sign. Who, whoever heard of pain as a vital sign? And then they create the scale, 1 to 10. Well, it's so subjective. You can't measure it. Anyone can walk in and say, yeah, I have a 10. I need pain. But they would 
punish us, right? Yeah. You, if, uh, you're probably in hospitals then. If you didn't ask that patient on rounds, every eight hours are you in pain, and give them these pain medications, you were going to get sanctioned. You were going to get some something negative was going to come to that from you, whether you weren't going to get paid or whatever. And now look, they've created, they've taken part at least in creating a crisis, and they want to blame the physicians. As always. So I'm with you. You know, we need to be independent, and we need to get back to there. It's just we, we know what needs to be done. It's just how do we get there when all these intermediaries and intermediaries and regulatory agencies have given themselves the power. No one, we didn't give it to them. The patients didn't give it to them. They gave it to themselves, and yet we're stuck with it. Um, so we're left with this quandary of, you know, what's, what's the next step? How, how, do we, how do we regain control of health care for physicians and patients? Knowledge, and that's the power. On that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. You know, we're talking about solutions, and I think one of the first things that people can do is go to your website and sign the petition because it's about you having ammunition going up to Congress to get something done. I don't, you know, that's one of the slowest-moving bodies I've ever seen, and it's all about glad handling and, you know, whose campaign donation you're going to get. But sometimes there's people up there that do listen, and we really do need to, as a grassroots level at this point, you know, organize the patients to work with us. Yeah, interesting you mentioned that because communication, I think, is so important. And there's actually the lack of communication is a big problem in, in patient safety. Yep. But we need a better organization that can cohesively communicate in Washington, D.C. We need to be there in D.C. We need to be talking to these hospital associations to regain control. And one effort that's out there is a, the organization was formed. It's called the PGA, and I'm not talking about golf. It's the Physicians Guild of America. And although a lot of docs are reluctant, we're trying to get them together as one cohesive organization, as an alternative to the AMA, because very few physicians, I think 15 to 17 percent of actively practicing physicians belong to that organization, because all these organizations are not truly representing the interests of independent physicians. They have their own agendas. Mm -hmm. And this guild is nothing more, it's, it's like the Screen Actors Guild. It promotes, you know, things that are of interest and that affect our lives and the lives of our patients. And I think by only doing that and getting all these separate, smaller organizations together into one, that we could raise enough funding to have our own group or association go to Washington and truly be effective. Because if you don't, unfortunately, it's the way it works. If you can't communicate with with the money and support and volume of docs that it takes to influence change for the better, and who's better to do it than, than the physicians and the patients themselves, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's going to be difficult. So I'd encourage uh, you know, anyone out there, if there's patients and physicians listening in, to um, begin to look into this Physicians Guild of America and by all means you know, support our website, support drpatient.com and 
and help us with a petition because we'll, we, we need funding. You know, the, the problem is we're kept working all the time. We're trying to earn a living, so there's no time, and we need to make the time to, to get in front of people and to communicate these efforts mm. to those who can help us make a difference. I absolutely agree. It's, it's on us, really, to take our power back. I think we've, and I think you've described our profession really well. We are follow the law. You know, we, we draw between the lines. We are team players, and we'll sacrifice ourselves to make the system work. I think we've reached a point. There isn't anything else we can give. At this point, we've given so much that it's actually taking away from our livelihood, from our sanity, from our ability to take care of our patients, and now we've reached the wall. We need to fight back. And this system cannot work without us. I mean, we're indispensable. Everybody takes us for granted. Everybody uses us. Everybody monetizes us, demonizes us. But the system cannot work without us. There's no robots that can do surgery. Nobody can go into a trauma and take control of it and save a patient. That's not happening. And we should stop apologizing and sublimating ourselves into this groupthink, team approach crap, because it doesn't work. Yeah, and it's, uh, it amazes me why, that that uh, there some people actually resent us, and we're, you know, it's not your your local congressmen or senators, and it's not the hospital administrators that are sitting there at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> with a patient and family that's extremely sick and critically ill, and you're trying to save their lives, and, and yet they minimize our our role or criticize our role. Exactly. And, you know, and I, I, I believe, I hope we get to the point, there's there's one, a, a good friend of mine who's a, one of the the decent and admirable hospital administrators, he said, you know, healthcare should always be doctor-driven, but professionally managed. So they should be supporting what we want, and we give them the direction, but I don't see that happening now as a, as a good uh, friend of mine who's a cardiac surgeon and one of the most prestigious universities in Pennsylvania once said, he says, uh, Robert, the tail's wagging the dog when it comes to health care. <laughs> and, and you can't say it better than that. No, I, I guess you can't. But uh, we can stop playing that game, right? I mean, Yes, it's, yes it, we it, can. I think we need to. And it, it's time to support good leaders in health care to uh, get out in front of people and inform the public and give more talks so that everyone's aware of what's truly happening and, and, and offer our solutions, uh, you know, because I think everyone is looking for and wants the solutions. Who has it better than the people doing the work, right? Oh, absolutely. Who, who can create spaceships better than those engineers at NASA? Leave them alone. Let them do their work. Who's going to innovate and, 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 and create better cures and, and better surgical procedures and help for patients than the physicians? Let us do our work. Well, I think we also need to have a direct connection with our patients. Communication in the office is key. You know, explain to the patients why they have a deductible and what that means. And the fact that if you do give a pre-certification for something, it doesn't mean that the insurance company is going to pay for it after the fact. That's all. That's where the patients, I think, have the disconnect and we're the ones that they blame. Because we're playing, we have to play the this, this system, but we don't explain how the system works. And sure. And, and oh, God, exactly. I, you don't know how many times I've told patients, well, why does pre-certification exist at all? I've it never doesn't. seen it change anything, and it hasn't. No, except you do the service and you get nailed with not getting paid. <laughs> That's exactly. all it really does. Uh, yep. 
and then yeah. it's stuck on the patients, and then yeah. they get the patients against us, and the, they, they know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. Hell, the, some of the contracts that I used to see, I crossed it out now, but if the insurance company denies the service, you cannot bill the patient for it. That's ridiculous. I crossed yeah, that right out, initialed course. it. But we need actually to take control. They, we are integral to this, so we have to understand our power and our value. I don't think physicians know what their value are, is as a group. And I learned that the hard way. I had to take a strong look at how I was dealing with my, myself, how I felt, my patients. I decided I'm not going to play this game. I'm worthy. I'm not charging a lot, but I want to be paid for what I do, period. And I'm going to take good care of you. And I have selected out patients who believe that and work with me. And I don't have patients in my practice who think that health care is a right and I should be their slave. That's not going to work for me. No, and there's no other sector of industry in this world, I think, where it's expected that someone will work for nothing and not expect to get paid. I'm not sure why they promote that in healthcare, but uh, <laughs> because they phys- can. <laughs> physicians have the same mortgages, electric bills, you know, and payments, car payments, insurance payments, and anyone else has. So, um, yeah, to let it and go. there's a lot of money exchanging hands and intermediaries who don't do anything to deliver care. So uh, I'm with you. We need to we need to get the public on our side and have them realize that we're advocating for them. And once again, how can how can my listeners reach you? Yeah, well, there's two ways they can always um, uh, call. They can always call our office and leave a message. Okay. Eight five six eight four eight four one three one, or go to our website and and read some information. And that's support d r p a t i e n t for support doctor patient dot com and sign that petition and they can always leave their information and we'll get back to them. But part of the reason for that website is to educate the public and to provide information to the physicians and the public about what's truly happening out there. Dr. Valari, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for your time and your expertise and your passion and it's an honor to have you on. Thank you so much, Dr. George. I am honored and uh, pleased to be on and thank you for inviting me on your show. My pleasure. Have a great day. Take care. And thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM.